Huh, the founder of the Unicorn Factory, and um, we're going to try something new. Oh, hello everyone. <laughs> My name is Connor. I'm the founder of the Unicorn Factory, and I've just decided that we want to that I want to do something new, add a little bit of content to the website. And what I've been wanting to do for a long time is kind of share some tips and tricks around becoming a better freelancer. And what other way to do it than to reach out to the freelancers that we already have on the Unicorn Factory and basically hear their stories kind of figure out how they got to where they are now and kind of learn from them. So in this first video, we have Dominic, who is a UX consultant from Wellington. He's been on the Unicorn Factory pretty much from the very beginning. And yeah, I've invited him along to share his story on how he got into UX and all those kind of things. So welcome, Dominic. Thank you for being the first to join. No worries. So first, straight off the bat, the first question I want to ask you is, how has this lockdown affected your business? Um, so luckily, I was in a contract and um, my the company I was contracting with um, has paid me throughout the time of the lockdown, which is very surprising as a contractor. And um, so it's allowed me to do some daily daycare. It was basically down to they had some infrastructure issues. So they've since fixed the infrastructure issues and I'm back working again for the last couple of days. Um, but it's probably going to affect me a lot in the next coming weeks because that contract actually finishes fairly soon at the end of April. So at the moment, putting the feelers out for the next set of work, there's not much responses coming back as I normally get. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks how it balances out, whether or not we come out of um, level four or not, and how that has a bearing. So it'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, I've heard I've had a I've heard a lot of freelancers with similar stories where they've been able to um, basically continue work on the existing contracts, but it the bigger problem appears to be what happens in a month or two months exactly, from now. Yeah. So do you think um, it's going to be linked directly to what level we are at? Or do you feel like it's just a matter of time until businesses get used to the current situation? I think it, it, it's got two parts, really. It all depends on where you're targeting you, the work for. So I've been looking recently at more remote work for clients that are overseas, where... Um, the companies have already got the remote working structure already set up, so the lockdown hasn't really affected them. Whereas mm -hmm. the more localized Wellington-based stuff, a lot of it's government-based, and so that lockdown's affected a lot of people and a lot of onboarding. Um, the government clients want all the security things and everything like that that goes with it. All those mm -hmm. processes have stopped for new employees or for new contractors or for new... Um, providers and so I can see there that's going to take a lot of time for them to embed those processes get those processes back up and running in more of a remote style mm -hmm. so that's why I deliberately have just been exploring other opportunities outside of New Zealand for companies that are already working in that way so in order to try and speed up the mm -hmm process and make sure that there's not too much of a gap between them although I haven't really actively been doing that as much because obviously with the lockdown school shut having to look after children it's 
um, a different kettle of fish, really, than the normal look for a new contract at the end of the current one. Cool. So I'll, I want to come back to um, having a chat about how you're approaching finding new clients. But um, just for a little bit of context, I kind of just jumped straight into the whole COVID-19 thing. I think it would be nice no. for people to hear a bit about what it is that you do as a UX consultant um, and potentially how you got into becoming a UX consultant as well. So kind of a bit of your journey to where you are now. Yeah. So overall, I've been in the software industry over 20 years um, and I've worked across nearly all aspects of it and starting out as a tester, working and doing a bit of development, automated testing, implementation consultant, pre technical pre-sale. And throughout it, it's often been my journey's been, if no one else can do it, um, Don can do it. And so I've picked up a lot of skills. And through that, I focused mainly on three aspects, which was the consultancy pre-sales side, the business analysis, and the design work. And so with the pre-sales, there was a lot of opportunity of actually doing that initial designs, doing that initial fact-finding, doing that user research before even the discipline of UX research actually fully came about, doing all those more analytical current state, future state stuff. And through that, I basically blended my logical side and my creative side and found that for that, the best fit for me is UX design. But unlike the traditional UX design, because I've got all those other experiences with that logical thinking, I bring in a lot of the business um, analysis traits into my design. And also from my um, consultancy work and pre-sales, that's a lot of the initial service design. So I often, I'm in a role as a UX designer, but at the same time I'm doing business analysis work and service design work and also I often find myself then also doing a lot of training in organizations to help upskill and broaden people so that they can look at those cross disciplines rather than people just working in their own little bubble so to speak um, and actually working out those cross disciplines and how people handle those transfers and so that's how I really came into it it's just a literally an organic flow of all my past things and blending them all together. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I am, so if I am your client, what am I typically, what are the problems that I'm typically trying to solve in my business right now where you come in and basically address them? Yeah, so it, it differs greatly and um, depending on um, how I've come into the organization quite often because um, people are thinking I've got this, well, it also depends on the maturity of the thought process of the organization. So they might come in and go, we've got this idea, we need to validate whether or not this idea is viable. And so I then come in more from the research point of view, looking at the research, looking at doing rapid prototyping, co-design workshops in order to get the idea more formalized or, or even mm -hmm. running a design sprint on that. Or I'm brought in... Um, later on in the piece where they've already done that idea and they need to expand on that research, work out what their personas are, then go into doing actual wireframes and producing the wireframes and user testing those in order to, for them to be then developed. 
So it's all the way across both the research and the design aspects. Nice. And so you've been doing that um, just self-employed or have did you get started working in businesses kind of? Yeah, so I started working in businesses and then in 2012, I went full time and set up my own company. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually, um, although I'm a, a freelance contractor, I actually run everything through my company. Mm -hmm. And currently there's just the two of us working through the company, but in the past I have expanded it up to seven people when I had the the work um, that was there and also was looking at doing some product development of my own ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but at the moment I'm just doing contracting through my company. Yeah. And the reason why I set up my company was because I had those ideas of expanding, offering more services and also doing product development. I decided straight away rather than being self-employed i would just go straight into the company route and then that meant that as i expanded up i didn't have to worry about expanding and doing all the obligations of being a company at the same time i learned them while i was still small and that really helped me nice so um going back to 2004 when you set up your um, 2012 2012 sorry and so uh so what was that transition for you like? Say like the first few months of being out there by yourself? Um, it, was, it was actually the really easiest transition ever. Mm -hmm. um, I decided that I was working in, for a company. I decided that I wanted to go into contracting and freelance stuff. And literally a friend of mine runs her own um, company who's uh, works as a vendor and I was going around to her house for a barbecue and literally put on the bottom of the email like it was like what do you want to, us to bring to the barbecue PS um, I'm quitting my job going contracting do you have any work and she replied to say yes can you be a BA slash designer and I was like yes that's what I do <laughs> and like, oh, coming tomorrow I went in the next day um, to talk to her and she had the client actually in there for a different meeting and introduced me as this is Dominic he's your new BA designer so it actually <laughs> was really the easiest switch for me whatever because I literally went into having a conversation with her and she had already told the client that I was had got the job so for me it was actually really easy amazing um, and then yeah. just from that and organically through the people I know in my network, it's been quite easy to get my next roles. Uh -huh. Okay, so you got the first client and then from there, they were just organically, you just started getting more work and that essentially established like your initial client base then? Yeah, um, and also um, because I know a lot of, when I came to New Zealand, I came to New Zealand in 2008 and I got a job working for a Microsoft vendor mm -hmm. and through there, a number of those people that I worked with there went on to work for other companies, but I stayed in contact with them. And so I've had a quite a close relationship with a number of vendors. And so it's meant mm -hmm. that whenever I'm um, available, if I put something out, normally one of those vendors needs some help. So although in some ways my company, if it was larger, would be a direct competitor because I'm on the smaller side, they don't see me as a competitor and they just see me as an extra resource that mm -hmm. I work, I've worked with like nine different vendors within 
Wellington and Auckland in order to provide services under their banner. Yeah. Oh, so that's been really good. Um, I have a couple of roles that have been through recruiters mm -hmm. as well. But the one thing that I've made sure when I do anything through recruiters is that the contract doesn't lock me into them going forward. So for instance, having a contract whereby I've been brought in by the recruiters for project A, if while I'm working with them, another project comes up, um, if they go to market to find people, then my company's allowed to respond and say, we can do the work. And if I get the work, I don't have to go through the recruitment company. Yeah. If it's anything to do with project A, like for instance, they add additional scope or there's a phase two of that project, then if I'm working on it, then I keep it through the recruitment company. And that way it keeps the recruitment company happy, but also gives me opportunity to expand. Awesome. Well, there's actually one other thing that I wanted to, so, um, that I wanted to touch on on what I've seen that you do is you do a lot of speaking as well. I saw that you were speaking at the UX conference and I saw that you posted some stuff up on NZ Tech Startup and in our Slack channel. And I'm really keen to hear um, how speaking has kind of impacted your business as a whole, because I know a lot of people have done it and they use that as a way to kind of get themselves out there and generate work. But where has speaking fit in into the entire picture for you? Yeah, uh, I, one thing I really like, because I've had that vast experience of working in all the different disciplines, I like sharing that because it actually helps a lot of people because a lot of people have just been, I've just been doing this and this is my job. Mm. And so it does it. So um, previously in the UK as well, I did a lot of training and a lot of meetups in the areas that I was working there. And I wanted to really continue that. Um, so I've spoken at um, the last two UX homegrowns. I've run workshops there. Both of those have been around taking both business analysis and data analysis skills and bringing them into the UX field. Mm -hmm. And then um, at UX New Zealand, I did um, 20 tips in 20 minutes as a vibrant launch to the yeah. afternoon session to make everybody feel alive in the second afternoon. Um, and then I've also, even last week, I did a, a live webinar of Ask Me Anything where like people across the internet were asking me questions and I was just answering them um, in order to share my knowledge. And I think it's really important that you actually share your knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, um, one of the things I also try and make sure that I do is if I do a conference away from Wellington, I then, after the conference is finished, do it with the local meetup group, do the same session so that people that are small and don't have the opportunity to pay to go to a conference still have the opportunity to, to learn. And so I think mm -hmm. that's really important as well, not just making it exclusive for conferences, but also share it across the board. Nice. So how do you um, find conferences to speak at? Do they reach out to you or do you research um, so, yourself? So you generally you have to um, apply to be part of the conference. For the ones in New Zealand, I've applied, but I've also known the people that have been running them. So that's mm -hmm. been an advantage. So for instance, with my speaking at UX New Zealand this year, I applied, um, I got through, and one of the people that was in the organization, 
panel had actually been to my workshops the previous two years at UX Homegrown. Um, and so when they saw me deliver, they were like straight away asked me, can you be after lunch or after afternoon break on day two because of my style, it was going to be funny, it was going to be vibrant to uplift the crowd. So because of they knew me, they straight away was like, yeah, we want to give you one of the graveyard spots, but we know you'll be happy with it and we know you can deliver on it. And so that connection's been really good. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, you, you have to apply and, and then other people that also apply get to review other people's. And so that's quite good as well because you, then you can often spot the um, larger corporations who are actually trying to reframe one of their marketing um, talks actually mm -hmm. as a conference talk when it's actually a sales pitch. And yes, so I, I quite enjoy pointing <laughs> those out and that's quite good. But definitely speaking has given me lots of opportunities because um, quite often within the meet and greet afterwards and before you get to meet people and when they realise you're a speaker, you often get more people come up and talk to you about what you said and about this. And so I have got a number of opportunities out of speaking as well. So it's worked both ways that I've shared my knowledge and I've got work out of it as well. Yeah, I definitely think um, that like a lot of people sometimes are a bit concerned about sharing their knowledge, like, because I feel like sometimes people feel concerned that they are giving away the IP or that you are kind of, um, I don't know, giving away the secrets of the trade. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you can, if you, if, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. So you can, you can get, give people tips on home decorating. Mm -hmm. but unless you've got the experience of actually doing it. So you can see all the tips on how to put up wallpaper, mm -hmm. but you still might be absolutely rubbish at doing it. Yeah. So <laughs> it, you've got to have the experience and the things in there. Also, one of the things I try and make sure that I do with all of my talks and all of my workshops is that they're at different levels. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so for instance, my 20 UX tips in 20 minutes, there was... Um, six that were aimed at juniors uh -huh. there was six that was aimed at more senior and then there was eight that was into um intermediate so that all different people can learn different things yeah and so some of the people would have taken my tips and they would have used them straight away and that's what i love about it as well so i remember the first year that i did um ux homegrown it was i did was doing um analysis techniques for designers mm -hmm. and the next year I went back and a couple of people came up to me and was just like oh yeah you know your I was in your workshop last year you know this tool here we actually do a lot of work with um schools and we've adapted it um in this way to work for school age children and I thought oh that's that's great they've taken what I've developed and they've adapted it for their environment and so I wouldn't probably use it in the same same way as they're using it because I'm not in that environment. But for them, it fitted perfectly. And that's what you, those bits that you hear are always great. Awesome. So key takeaway for anyone watching this, don't be afraid to share what you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think also as well, don't be afraid of actually presenting. 
because one of the things that quite a lot of conferences do is they actually get you to meet with speaking coaches and everything so you can go through workshops and you can go through exercises that can make you more confident to be on the stage mm -hmm. and so this time around at UX New Zealand there was about six or so people that before the conference they've probably spoken to a room of 10 people maximum mm -hmm. but through the camaraderie of the people that were speaking and through the training they had the confidence to actually go up on stage and do it and it's the when you see them come off stage when they finish and the sense of relief but that beaming smile that they've achieved it it's it's great to see absolutely yeah i had a i spoke at a conference um last november and oh at the time it was so high stakes but once it's done it's like you feel really good about this going out yeah. and doing it you know and like the there's so many pros that come from it like long term just the amount of people that remember being uh, seeing you there hearing you speak and just reaching out to you it's definitely something worth looking into so i just want to jump over to uh talking about just free oh, like working for yourself in general just want to touch on a few little things where I'd like to hear your insights and your thoughts. And I think one of the things I want to talk about is what you briefly touched on at the start of this conversation, which is that you are now going out and having to look for new clients. So I'd just kind of like to hear from you how you approach it. Like how do you approach finding the right clients and how do you reach out to them? How does that process look for you? Yeah, so... Um because I'm at the senior level, the, there's some places that it's not worth me looking. So, mm -hmm. for instance, you've got all these Facebook groups and things like that where people share things and people are looking for people to help out. And it's really, they're looking at more the junior side of it. Um, and then you've got those, the remote working where it's basically out of a small a small shop that's basically more offshoring or nearshoring development and so again those are often looking at junior and intermediate so it's making sure that you're one looking at the right in the right places for the for your level mm -hmm. so um an example would be um uh hyper island it's a website that's based in europe that does courses across design but they also have jobs boards there and they've got it quite good set up where they can you can clearly easily see whether or not a freelance job is an intermediate or it's actually an internship or whether or not it's actually can be remote and there you've got to make sure that you're looking in the right area for what you need mm -hmm. the other thing is that i'm quite i look at quite large clients so I've well, like, recently I've been working at Westpac, doing some work, Ministry of Health and the TA and the TE, and Ministry of Social Development, Weta Digital, and all large organisations. So in order to get the larger organisations and look for those, you have to have the contacts within there at the right level. So it's no point in those organisations going someone that works in the design team. You need to know who the general manager is of the area that's dealing with a project because for those larger organizations everything all the decisions are made at a too high level that if you know someone who works there 
you can get in as a contractor. Mm -hmm. And so obviously it's hard getting those people that you know in there. And that comes just through experience and time. There's no quick fix for that. Mm -hmm. So um, do you do email outreaches to them or how do you basically let them know that you're available? Um, it's often through like LinkedIn messages. Ah, okay. For those larger clients. Mm, nice. Um, and so I feel like uh, sometimes an issue that a lot of people have is like you work in an area where a client, for example, doesn't know what they don't know. So they don't know what to look out for. Um, yeah. How do you approach that conversation with a client? How do you um, get in? You yeah. You, this is where you've quickly got to change it from email correspondence to actually having a meeting, be it in person or over the internet as it is now, yep. so that you can they can understand those benefits. So, for instance, I did some work with Medical Assurance Society who were developing a new website and they wanted to do a mobile app in the future. Mm -hmm. So they said that they needed... Um, a business analyst and so through my previous work business analyst I got talking to them but then it was quite clear that actually what they needed was they needed a business analyst and a UX designer because they needed to get they wanted to get to the stage their end goal was they wanted to work with a partner who would develop the website but and that was it develop the website not design the website based on requirements but develop the website. They wanted a development partner to do it. Mm -hmm. Because they had already got their comms, they had already got a branding partner. And so they they didn't need that. But all they what they thought was they just had comms, brand design, business analysis. They didn't have that actual interaction UX design in their remit. And so that was a lot of getting in front of them, talking to them and explaining what the whole process is, what the benefits of having the UX designer is, how it was going to make sure that when they came to getting that partner, they knew that they would have clearer costs. It wouldn't be ballpark figures. It would be they could, at that point, get a fixed price quote, which is what their board wanted. Their board had already signed off that this is the much budget that we've got for setting up the project and this is the budget that we've got for build. And if they hadn't have brought me in for the UX design, they would have had ballparks for that second part. Mm -hmm. And so it's getting, getting in front of them and explaining the full process rather than the slices. Mm -hmm. So when you have those meetings, how long would you say it takes for you to take someone from being a prospect to being your client? Like what is like a realistic expectation at your level um in terms of how long it should take for you to close a client and um, it generally it's all down to whether or not they've got approved budget if you take out the approved budget because that's often the thing that can slow things down the other thing that can slow things down is the procurement cycle that they've got internally so if you assume that they've got budget and they've got um procurement is on board and once they choose who they're going to work with, then it's a slow process. 
um, then it's actually it can actually be quite quick. So it can be literally meet with someone, present, and then they've got. Obviously, they need to do due diligence. They often need to speak to multiple people to work out who their best fit is, um, and then you can basically sign on and sign up. And then it could be as low as probably average two weeks for a quick client. But if they haven't got budget and they haven't got the procurement cycle, then it can be six months. I've had it whereby working with a government department where because I wasn't on an approved panel list for the government, mm -hmm. all of the projects that I could do was could only be small and each one had to be signed off by not only the GM but by procurement and also they had to say why they weren't doing somebody from the approved list and so all of that took time to get all of those yes we're going with Dominic because he did phase one so if we did phase two with somebody else it would cost us more take more time but in the end it probably took about the same amount of time because it had to go through all those loopholes and those can take up to six months I've had it before now where had the meeting with the GM, they said yes, and then all the internal politics has taken six months before I've actually started the project. Yeah. So is <laughs> just in balance your pipeline and know what's coming up and what's not. Right, interesting. Is do you feel like because obviously government has a bit of a rep for being a bit slower, is the speed in which um like those cycles work with government similar to like larger corporates? Or are corporates usually a bit faster when it comes to those types of things? Um, they can be. The, the big thing with uh, large corporates is headcount. Often mm -hmm. with large corporates, they've, got a, they've often got three types of headcount. They've mm -hmm. got their full-time employee headcount, they've got mm -hmm. their direct contractor headcount, and then they've got their third party. Um, so whereby they've got a, an arrangement with a development partner or a infrastructure partner mm -hmm. and so it depends on where you are in the headcount so for instance i was talking to a client and um they wanted me to come in and lead a group of designers and what it turned out was they thought they had headcount for a contractor they didn't it was a full-time and i was like no i don't want to be a full-time employee i'm have my own company do that and so they went all oh, right well we can't give you that job because we don't have we only have full-time headcount but we still want you to join and i was like okay so and then they went but we don't have enough direct contractor headcount and so it's like, okay so then um it had to go through a third party so in the end because that role was given to me by a recruitment company i get paid by my company my company gets paid by the recruitment company the recruitment company gets paid by a third party the third party gets paid by the client wow <laughs> yeah. yeah so you can have those complexities but in all because of that because they were quite clear on their numbers and they could see their numbers it actually only took it took four weeks from accepting to then starting which was the time that i had to close up another couple of projects anyway so it actually worked with my timeline but it if you're not prepared and you don't understand the reasoning it can often seem oh am i going to get it am i not going to get it whereas with experience you know actually they just need to sort out their stuff mm -hmm. you've, already, you've already 
agreed what you're going to do. They already say that they want you. Don't worry and don't panic. Nice. Well, I'm going to start heading towards the end. I do have a few more questions for our uh, more junior UX um, freelancers on the Unicorn Factory. And so I want to particularly talk about um, pricing. As a, as a junior, so what I see a lot of people do who get into freelancing is they price themselves as, as if they are an employee at an hourly rate. And what are your thoughts on how you should approach your pricing strategy if you are just entering the freelance market as a UX designer? Yeah, it's it's always hard because you've got to you've got to make sure two things. One, you're not saturating the market with too many underpriced people. Mm -hmm. Because then you're lowering the bar for everybody. Because then and two, that you're not overpricing yourself so that people think you're more experienced and then you can't deliver on it because then again that affects you both ways. Mm -hmm. So I myself, I've got a I've got a fixed rate of my cut so my corporate rate, I'll tell you, I'm happy to share. So my corporate rate's um $150 an hour. Mm -hmm. I'm at I'm at that senior, I'm at the expert end of the scale. But depending on who I'm working with, I may drop that down. So for instance, if I'm working on behalf of another vendor, I know that they're going to be charging me out at 120, uh, 150, 180. Um, so I often drop it down to 120, 130, so that they've they've got their margin on top. Mm -hmm. And the reason I can do that is because my administration's less. I just need to do a timesheet time and do a quick invoicing. I don't have to go through all the stakeholder management and the procurement that I would if I was going directly with the client. So it evens it mm -hmm. out. We both get benefits. And also it means that there's an ongoing relationship there. They know mm -hmm. that they know that I'll only charge them for the hours that I'm actually working, unless we've got a an agreed hours per week that I've had with some clients whereby, for instance, I may be working on they've agreed 30 hours a week. And I may only do 20 hours for the vendor, but those are the 10 hours I'm also helping them grow their internal teams, which is quite often what also happens. Um, so getting the pricing right isn't often a hard thing. Um, what I would recommend is that um, you look at what the salary is. So for instance, most of the salaries that I would be looking at for a full-time job around the 150000 a year. And so you can even just go on it by a simple divided by a divided by a thousand, and that's your hourly rate. So one hundred fifty thousand hourly rate, one hundred fifty dollars an hour. Even cool. just use that simple ballpark. The other thing is that um, in order to get it right is uh, Absolute IT. They do a um, survey every year of salaries. Um, within the IT field, and they publish those, and they're on their website, and you can see those, and they have the median and all the averages for the different salaries, both full time and contractors for the different um, disciplines awesome. and job titles. So that's a really good place to look 
because then you can look at where you are on the scale and how much you charge. All right. Hey, Dominic, I'm going to start wrapping it up here. Um, no I am very grateful that you decided to be the first person to jump on this one-on-one -on -one call. I know that we met at one of the Unicorn Factory meetups and that you are to speak there. And I have been planning on getting you on there, but I feel like this is a good backup option. So I'm really glad that you took the time to basically share your thoughts on everything. Um, yeah, is no there anywhere where we can follow you kind of potentially watch your presentations all those types of things yes yeah, so um so i've got my own website ciso.co.nz um i've also got a medium channel where i put my blog posts but they're also on the ciso website otherwise um srigor cinemod so that's my name backwards dominic rogers backwards srigor cinemod um, it's my Twitter handle. Feel free to connect with me on Twitter because most of the things I link to on there. Awesome. Well, in that case, thank you very much. Much appreciated. Um, and yeah, we will have this. We'll have the next ones coming up really soon. All right. See yeah. ya. Cheers. Thanks a lot.